few weeks to guide you through how to become a candidate or nominate others to do so. No registration is needed for these sessions. Check the Pacifica calendar or the WBAI website for more details. You can also reach out directly to our local election supervisor at les wbai2021 at pacifica.org. Welcome back to WBAI. This is Driving Forces, your weekly show where we focus on the policy and the politics that dominate discussion in our city, state, and across the country. The opening music, if you were curious, is Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. And uh, think about that when we get into today's topic. Uh, my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, is joining me here today. Celeste, how's it going? What's on your mind today? Still recovering a little bit from the uh, excitement of that debate last night, but doing okay. Glad to be here with you as always, Jeff. That's why I wanted to mention the opening music, because they all want to rule in New York City. This was the, what, the third Democratic mayoral candidates debate in the last few weeks, putting aside all the virtual events that took place. These were the, what, the, the public ones with several local TV stations and uh, campaign finance board, if I'm correct. Yeah, there's, there's, these are sponsored by a bunch of uh, news outlets and, uh, you know, public agencies that are geared towards educating people about the candidates. And I think we can all agree, and certainly, Jeff, you know, and I know just from years of reporting, that it's really hard to nail down really specific, meaningful answers to these big questions uh, in a debate format. How do you solve homelessness in 30 seconds? The short answer in two seconds is you don't. So uh, it's still very interesting to watch to see how each of these candidates is handling each other, who they were going after, whether they were trying to sort of stay above the fray or they were trying to make a, an 11th hour pitch to people who may not still be uh, very familiar with them, even though voting is underway. And you're right. This was the last chance for these candidates to really make an impression to a wide swath of voters. You know, a lot of voters are still undecided. And, you know, it could be impossible to quantify how important this debate will be in the long run. But it was still interesting to see how these candidates made their last push in the race. Uh, we're going to get to our first guest in just a moment, but any other opening thoughts you want to give? Oh, I should note, by the way, Celeste, and for yeah. our listeners, that I do want people afterwards, after the show, to go to the New York Times website, because we're going to be talking about this, but you could uh, basically see Celeste's views on a lot of the candidates, as well as our first guest. So I interrupted you, Celeste. I'm sorry. No, not at all. Not at all. I know you and I, before the program, were talking about some milestones in terms of COVID and coming out or trying to come out of the pandemic just a little tidbit. Not that long ago, I got, uh, you know, I signed up for all these uh, uh, email, reporter emails, press emails, and we did get a little notice from the governor's office that uh, Empire State Plaza, which includes the state capitol, is going to be reopening to the public, I believe, tomorrow. So I think that's just uh, one one little blip of, of positivity, I hope. If you think that being able to go into the seat of New York state government is a good thing, uh, you know, that, that New York is, is trying to get back to some sort of sense of, uh, of normal life again. Yeah, and it's been a bittersweet week. At the same time, you know, the governor announced we're reopening. This is what the final or almost final stage. We're largely reopening here at the same time across the country. We hit that 600,000 uh, mark of 600,000 lives that have been lost to COVID here in the United States. So with that, I want to get back to the elections because 
we know that our listeners are going to want to weigh in later in the show when we open up the phone lines on the mayor's race because this is our last show before the Tuesday, June 22nd primary. For many New Yorkers, even those who follow politics and government affairs closely, these elections could seem overwhelming given the, sta- given the staggering number of candidates. So here to make sense of it all is our first guest, Eleanor Randolph, director of Citizen Union's new Elect NYC initiative. This is a nonpartisan voter education effort that gives New Yorkers crucial information about New York's local New York City elections. You may know her name because she's a veteran journalist who's covered national politics and the media for the Washington Post, the LA Times, and other papers. And she was a member of the New York Times editorial staff from 1998 to 2018, where she focused on city and state politics, media, and Russia. And she's the author of a a fantastic book, one of the books I read during the pandemic, The Many Lives of Michael Bloomberg. Eleanor Randolph, welcome to Driving Forces. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Celeste. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. So before we get to the mayor's race, I do want to ask you about Elect NYC, the website, because I've looked at it a number of times over the last few weeks. I'd love for you to tell our listeners a bit about it and what they can learn there. So, well, let me just go back a minute. About a year and a half ago, um, Betsy Gottbaum, who runs Citizens Union, called me and said, I know you're focused on um, the uh, presidential election, but we're going to have an unbelievable election in New York City in 2021. And she said, you know, there are going to be 500 candidates. I said, oh, you that can't be true, not 500 <laughs> candidates, even in New York City. But it turned out that that, was pretty, that, that number was pretty close. So she, what she wanted to do was set up a website where people could go and find out um, who, who, is running, um, who is running in their area especially and, you know, who's running in the citywide races, who's running in the borough-wide races. Um, and what we found, what we decided was that um, while, while a lot of people were going to be covering the mayor's race and even the comptroller's race, and that um, that there weren't as many people covering these city council races. So, so we set out a year ago to cover all the city council races that were really uh, competitive and really important. Uh, some of them are so competitive, it's just unbelievable. Um, you know, one race has 15 candidates, but we've done close to 320 um, little bios about all the candidates. They're they're not they're not the website. They're you know we reported we had 20 interns and we they're they're little articles about the different um, city council races. And so um, it's been quite a, a ride. Absolutely. It sounds like it. And Eleanor, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for joining us today here on WBAI. Um, nice to hear I you, think- Celeste. I hope you uh, had as much fun as I did last night in terms of watching the uh, the mayoral debate. I do want to talk about some of those other races, but just to jump over, because I think this is really on people's minds uh, coming right. off the debate last night. Uh, you know, you had your opportunity there and I liked your observations a lot. Maybe share with people just generally, what did you think? And did you think that the public was well served by any or all of these debates? You know, I... I'm not sure the real question that you have to ask yourself about the mayor is um, can this person do all the things that a mayor is supposed to do for New York City? It's an unbelievably complicated job. I'm not sure a debate actually gives us that much information. It, it tells us how the mayor would uh, present himself or herself before the public, and that's important. But it doesn't say anything about how the mayor would manage, how the mayor would um, deal with new new ideas, how the mayor would um, uh, negotiate with, um, with Albany or Washington. So it's just, I mean, 
it it's it's just one part of what a mayor does and you know it's i thought it was fascinating i i love these debates i'm so glad i don't have to i'm not a candidate and i don't have to debate <laughs> it just makes me nervous to watch them but um but it's just one part of what a mayor does yeah, very, very much so. And I think it's interesting. I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. I, I do think it's interesting that there are some people who may be uh, excellent managers or uh, very capable public servants, but maybe public speaking isn't their thing or uh, giving a, a <laughs> like, 30 second like answer Michael to Bloomberg, a. Bloomberg, for example. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny you should mention. <laughs> um, I believe somebody, somebody wrote a book about him not that long ago that uh, people may want to, might want to check out. <laughs> but no, not at all. But it's it's very interesting to me. I mean, I guess maybe what I should ask you is how should you assess the candidates based on what you see and hear in these debates versus uh, reading about them, meeting them in person? Because some people are really good at this stuff and some people aren't. And that may not be the best, um, you know, the best metric of, of what kind of a job the person's going to do. You know, I mean, I'm a great believer in the media, and um, and I think one of the things that we've seen um, is the Times, the Daily News, even Cranes, um, and a few other news organizations have actually covered these different candidates in more depth and given us a little more understanding of how they've done their jobs or who they uh, who they bring to the table, um, and I, you know, I, I, I of course lean on that a lot because that's where I come from. That's my, you know, past. Um, but I feel um, if you're just if you're just looking at the candidates, you have a gut level reaction. Just you know and probably that's a good way to to help you figure out who you who you probably like or don't like um but it's also important to to listen to the back and forth the opposition always works very hard to bring out the negative side the candidates you know are pedaling very fast to do the positive side so it's like you're like a jury. You have to weigh, um, you know, both sides and and figure out um, figure out who should win. It's it's hard. I don't. I, I have to say to you. I, I told somebody this the other day. You know that we're doing this ranked choice voting, and I said, look, you know, you got this thing from the board of elections, and it gives you a little chart so you can fill it out. My suggestion is that if you fill it out, fill it out with a pencil with a good eraser because <laughs> I've ended up moving things around ever ever since I got the thing. And so uh and and I'm on top of everything, I think, you know, I mean there may be some story that I've missed somewhere. Um I forgot to mention Politico, which has been, you know, quite active in, in this in this mayoral season and um but but it's uh, but it is a big uh, a very very confusing uh, race, especially that mayor's race, and we don't we don't know I don't know really who's going to win. And you raise you raise some very good points, and I agree with you regarding the pencil, simply because. It feels like every day I start to reconsider, <laughs> well, here's what I was going to do, but I've just read this story today. Uh -huh. Watching la watching last night, for me, there were several moments where I kind of I felt so awkward for uh, for some of the people on that stage because of the, qu the questions that were asked or even the exchanges. Were there any defining moments for you? Any what was like the what were a standout moment or two for you last night? You know. What happened to me? I had already decided on who my top candidate was going to be. So, and um, you know, I, I mean, I, I I can confess since I it was the New York Times endorsed her, which is Catherine Garcia. But I have had trouble figuring out um, 
where else I would go. And I've, um, what I thought last night was that um, Ray McGuire was interesting, and he had sort of come out of the, the box, you know, with uh, guns blazing, and and he he um, he sort of moved up a notch. Uh, I don't know whether he moved up a, a place in in my in my chart, but I thought he did really well. And the other one who surprised me. Who did really well was the was uh, Sean Donovan, who I just I just thought he he tried to be the adult in the room, and I thought he more or less succeeded. It was odd uh, to me, um, you know, Eric Adams. He he, it's like he's already wearing the cloak, you know, um, and. Um, you know he's he 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 was so sort of cool and he got attacked from every side and he you know he 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 counterpunched but he never looked like he he you know got rattled by by the criticism so the one the weakest one seemed to me to be yang and when they were talking about um they they were talking about um, affordable housing. It's a very complicated issue. I don't know whether you guys have gotten into it, but what is affordable is a big, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a mathematical formula based on you know the poverty level at the time and this and that. And he he seemed kind of clueless, and that um, that has been. The real negative about him is that he's not, he, he doesn't understand the city enough. So um, what did you guys think? I mean, that's, I, <laughs> I yeah, what no, I thought um, was. Um, the, well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that about Yang. And I don't know if Yang, uh, Andrew Yang may have, uh, you know, supporters here among our listeners here at WBAI. Certainly a lot of things that he's talking about, like universal basic income is an interesting topic. Yeah. I think that I thought that um, Yang was very forceful last night. Still, I think, has a tendency to be a little a little jokey, um, you know, at serious moments. I'm not sure how that came off, but uh, Yang was very forceful um to to my viewing, especially on the issue of homelessness and mental illness, right. and I thought he was right. he was uh, you know quite firm, uh, perhaps more so than other candidates who are talking more about like you know trauma informed services and education and so on. He's basically saying get these people off the streets. I don't know if that's going to speak to New Yorkers who are um, worried for their safety, like uh, on the train or just walking around, or if they feel. Um, sorrow and compassion for people who are sleeping on the streets or obviously are not getting the the care and the support they deserve. But, um, you know, I was curious to think, how did you think about the way he conveyed it? Because uh, I'm not sure if it if it was going to work for everybody. You know, in somewhat, you're absolutely right. I mean, in, in some ways, on that homelessness issue and mental health, he, he was saying what was almost unsayable. And I it totally shocked me that he said what he said. He said, remember, I, I'll, he said, yes, homeless people and the mentally ill have rights, but you know who else has rights? We do. And I just, it was so, you're right, it was so direct. Um, that was one of the things that I put in the New York Times um, commentary because I, I just was really startled by by how, how uh, clear and and direct he was he 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 was most passionate about that in some ways because the asian community has really suffered um as a as a result of some of these um attacks uh, by people who are mentally ill and and uh so you know i mean he was he was making that point you're right very forcefully and that I just was thought, I, 
I agree with you. That was what also went through my mind at that moment was who he was speaking to while he made those remarks, who he wanted that to resonate with. There was another moment. I know we've only got a few minutes left, but there was another moment that for me was incredibly. I was watching Diane Morales very closely last night because this was her last opportunity, really, to Mm -hmm. to get her message out there to show how forceful she was. And it was the um, the challenge she presented to Ray McGuire over right. the issue of defund, defund the police saying you don't represent the black and brown communities as a monolith. How did you, how did you assess that moment? Well, I just, I, I mean, I thought Diane, you talk about somebody who was tap dancing as fast as she could to, to make her point, but to go after um, McGuire, who, who is a black man and who uh, talks about coming from um abject poverty to get where he where he is um you know okay maybe she could say he doesn't represent um uh, hispanics and latinx but uh but you know he's he's been there and so it was very interesting he i thought he must be accustomed to that kind of parry and thrust because i thought he came back very quickly i thought for him, um, I mean, he didn't have anything to lose at that point. Uh, I thought it was a strong, um, uh, a strong debate for him. I don't think it'll make much difference, but but uh, I do think he was out there punching. So, Eleanor Randolph, I wish we had more time. It's always a pleasure to to talk with you and, and hear what you think about all these issues. But where can people find out more about you and your work, and especially about Citizens Union and Elect NYC? Well, you know, the electnyc.org website is so crucial now. I mean, it's it's fun too. For I, I get I find myself wandering around on the map, <clears throat> looking up all these these city council races, and the city council is going to be very very interesting next year. I think that's going to be probably quite liberal, and 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 um, there may be some truly fascinating characters who win the win these jobs but um but uh that gives you the most information about the city and this election and as for myself uh i i would if i could put in a plug for the paperback for my book uh the many lives of michael bloomberg um that feels wonderful i appreciate your letting me do it and, and oh, and I'm interrupting because I, just so folks know that when I finished the book, what was missing for me was that this book had been completed before Mike Bloomberg announced that he was running for president. But you informed me that you had, I, I guess, <laughs> updated the book. Yes, that's right. I had a whole chapter on how he changed his mind. I could have killed him, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Eleanor Randolph. An absolute pleasure to talk to you. And we uh, encourage everyone to go on and check out electnyc.org. Learn all about uh, this big uh, this big election that we're coming up to and ranked choice voting. Thank you so much, Celeste and Jeff. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And we are talking about uh, ranked choice voting, but of course, the uh, big mayoral debate last night. I'm sure that people will want to call in. going to give you the number now, but hang on to it because we have another great guest coming up that we want to keep talking to. But the number is going to be... 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Just want to also take a moment to remind you that if you enjoy this listener-supported, non-commercial free speech programming, please go to WBAI.org and check it out. You become a donor, you can become a BAI bunny, the name of your favorite program. It might be Driving Forces, maybe it's City Watch, it could be Jeff's other program. Um, but please consider giving as generously as you can. We rely on your support. No commercials, no ads, just listeners who really care about free speech, independent programming in New York City, WBAI.org. 
And with that, oh, one thing I do want to mention, which which is uh, really interesting, we're going to get to that next guest, and Celeste uh, knows her, has interviewed her, so I'm going to step aside when that uh, uh, when that introduction starts. But uh, there was a report that came out this week I do want to mention because it was very interesting. It was by an organization that used to be called the Women's City Club of New York, now called Women Creating Change, and it kind of leads into this next guest because it talks about all the challenges, all the barriers that women face in becoming civically engaged. And that's what also prevents a number of women from running for office. And that's exacerbated for low-income women of color. I mean, things such as the burden of work and care and cultural stereotypes, a number of issues that persist to this day and that, that are shaped by racism, sexism, and classism. Right. And in in New York State, of course, we still see uh, really disproportionate uh, representation. Uh, Only 18 out of 63 state senators are women. Only five are women of color. Um, Women only occupy about 14 of 51 New York City council seats. Twelve of them are women of color. So we're talking about how to make uh, a government uh, and a a public system that, you know, reflects the people who who live in this country, who live in this city, who live in this state, and so on. And so, you now, that's one of the reasons we wanted to invite on uh, our next guest. Her name is Luba Gretchen Shirley, and I met her when she was actually engaged in a really groundbreaking um movement or, you know, she was sort of spearheading it, which was at the time she was running for Congress, uh, running against uh, Congressman Pete King at the time. And she was looking for a way to do this, but, you know, still take care of her family, you know, working, studying, um, being a mom. And so she went to the Federal Election Commission and she made an argument that uh, she as a candidate should be able to use uh, her federal campaign funds uh, to uh, to to underwrite the cost of childcare. She had two small children at the time. And as a lot of people who are listening to this program know, trying to work and then pursue a passion, take care of the kids, take care of the family, take care of uh, the house or apartment and so on, it all really adds up. So I was very interested at the time to write about this uh, when it happened uh, a few years ago. And since then, she has come to work with an organization or found an organization called Vote Mama, which focuses on a lot of these issues and a lot of uh, representation issues for women, including women with children, people with children who are trying to get into public life. So Luba Gretchen Shirley, it's a pleasure to welcome you to WBAI. Thank you so much, Celeste. It's, uh, it's great to chat again. Absolutely. So I try to give a little bit of a thumbnail, but maybe just tell people a little bit more uh, for for our listeners who are just tuning in about what you do specifically with with Vote Mama, how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So too often mothers are forced to choose between taking care of their children and running for office. Um, And I when I ran my when I ran for Congress in 2018, my children were just one and three years old. And I had them with me on the campaign trail for the first few months every day. My mom was a teacher. She's retired now, but she was still working then. And she would come home at 3.30 every day and watch them. But I had a baby strapped to my chest while I was out talking to voters every day. And it was difficult, but it was it was unsustainable for me to give up my salary to run for Congress and then also pick up the cost of child care. And when I put this request into the Federal Election Commission, I asked if I could use some of the funds that I was raising from my campaign to pay for child care. And I remember everybody telling me it was political suicide and I was going to be attacked as a woman and as a mother. And it was a bipartisan, unanimous decision. And right after my campaign, I launched Vote Mama PAC in 2019 to help elect moms up and down the ballot. And then in 2020, I launched Vote Mama Foundation. And these organizations together revolutionized the way that moms run for office. With Vote Mama Foundation, we have been working to expand my federal election ruling to all states. Our goal is to get this passed in all states by 2023. So my FEC ruling approved this for all federal candidates, but each state has its own rules and regulations. And we're working to get legislation passed that all state and local candidates across the country are also able to use their campaign funds for child care. And that's a that's a good point, because I was just going to ask what progress you've seen, because a lot has changed since you ran for Congress and a lot hasn't. How much progress have we made? 
Yeah, absolutely. So 51 federal candidates have now used their campaign funds for child care. Uh, we're talking moms and dads, Democrats and Republicans, and 73% of the funds used have actually been used by women. So this is a major structural barrier that we have broken down to make it easier for working moms to run. But we've been working with legislators across the country to get this passed in all states. We've now seen 11 states have approved it through ethics rulings. 11 have passed legislation. Connecticut has actually just passed the House and Senate. We're waiting for the governor to sign, which should happen within the next week. They become the 12th state to pass this legislation. Um, and we've seen, you know, legislation this year alone has passed in Arkansas, in Montana, in Vermont, in West Virginia, and now almost in Connecticut. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here with Jeff Simmons, and we're talking to Luba Gretchen Shirley, uh, the founder of Vote Mama, which helps uh, candidates with young kids running for office. And Luba, I just want to go back to uh, something that you said a moment ago. You said when you were first uh, considering uh, trying to get approval to use these funds for child care, you know, somebody said to you that this would be political suicide. I'm just wondering, is there still or will there always be a stigma attached to running, either running for office with young kids or running for office and using some of your uh, supporters' money to pay for child care? Stigma absolutely exists, and that's why we need to talk more about this issue. The first question you will get asked as a mother with young children running for office is who will watch your kids while you campaign? Men never get asked this question, but women always get asked this question. And there is that concern that donors have, that the press has, that voters have, that you don't have the time, that you don't have the ability to run a full campaign if you're taking care of young children. But the reality is if you want something done, you give it to a busy mom. And moms, when they run, they win. And it's really moms run for office because there's usually a particular issue that got them passionate, that got them wanting to run, to step up, and to actually make a difference for their community. But if we want more moms to run for office, we have to normalize what it looks like to use campaign funds for child care. And that is central to our mission. We have seen, we've seen ethics rulings, ethics rulings that have supported men using their campaign funds for child care. But then when a woman goes and makes the same request, you know, for instance, in Louisiana, Morgan LaMondre, who was running for a state seat in Baton Rouge, she was told by their local ethics board that she had misplaced priorities and that her primary responsibility was to take care of her children. And we actually worked with her on the appeals process, and she won her appeal, and they have now approved the use of campaign funds for child care. But stigma absolutely exists, and there are a lot of women and men who are afraid to use their campaign funds to pay for child care because they think they'll be politically attacked. So the more we talk about it, the more states pass legislation, the more we normalize what this looks like, the more people will feel comfortable doing so. And it really breaks down a barrier so that we have more working people running for office, people who are not independently wealthy, people who understand the issues that so many Americans live with daily at a visceral level because it's their lived experience as well. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI, New York, 99.5 FM. We're also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I'm joined by Celeste Katz-Marston, and we are speaking with former congressional candidate Luba Gresham Shirley, founder of Vote Mama, which helps moms with young kids running for office. In about 10 minutes, we'll start taking your calls. Make sure you write down that studio number, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. So what I found interesting is that I uh, thank you, Celeste, for sharing the, your report with me, the campaign funds for a child care report that you put out in May of this year, I mean, which discusses how to break barriers for moms uh, so they can run for office. You know, I'd love to know what you see is some of the early solutions. What are some of the things that will help to break those barriers that our listeners can get behind? Passing campaign funds for child care is really, it's the first, it's the first barrier that we need to overcome. By passing this one simple change, we actually have the opportunity to transform the political landscape. There are other things that we need to do, just normalizing what it looks like to support moms running for office. For instance, women have always been told in, in all careers not to talk about your children as much because you might not get the promotion or you might not be taken as seriously. 
the more you talk about being a mom and how that informs your decisions when you actually legislate, the more we normalize it for other women stepping up to run for office. There are structural things that we can change, such as, you know, the voting schedule and how often you need to be in D.C. versus how often you need to be in the district. Or just changing the norm of moving your family to Washington when you're a congressperson so that you can actually see your children. There are so many legislators who feel they need to keep their children in the district and then end up parenting via FaceTime because they don't have the time to see their children. It's a matter of breaking down the structural and the cultural barriers. Somebody asked me once when I first started Vote Mama PAC how many moms we needed to get in office before I would feel successful. And I said, it's honestly not the number. It's the normalizing what it looks like so that when you see a mom with young children who's running for office, your first question is not going to be, hey, who's watching your kids while you're campaigning? It's going to be, why are you running and how can I help get you elected? So if listeners want to help, they should find an incredible mom who's running for office, get behind her, donate to her campaign, support her, volunteer as much as possible. And that's really how we start to normalize it. If you are a mom and you're thinking of running but you're concerned about your children, realize that it's, it's the best thing you can do to make a difference for your children, to change policies. Our country has been failing working families for generations because of the lack of family-friendly policies in this country. And when we start to change who has a seat at the table, we'll start to change what policies are prioritized. And Luba, for people who might be considering running for public office and uh, doing so while, uh, you know, uh, being the caretaker of small kids, uh, any any few words of, of advice before we wrap up? Uh, anything that you wish you had known then that you, you know now about about how to do this? Honestly, throw your hat in the ring and show the world that running for office is just what mamas do. The one thing I think that made it, would, have, would have made a huge difference in the beginning is being able to talk to other mothers who had been through it before, which is why I started Vote Mom in the first place. The people who ended up being the most supportive during my campaign were people like uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Grace Meng, all of these moms who have gone through it in the past. They were the most supportive and made a huge difference to me during my campaign. So if you're considering running, reach out to Vote Mama. Find a mentor. Find a mom who has done it before and talk to her. Those relationships are the most helpful and the most supportive. But absolutely throw your hat in the ring and get out there and run because you are already more qualified than you realize. And if you're running to make a difference in your community and to represent the people in your community, you're already running for the right reasons. So you're saying reach out to Vote Mama. So that brings me to our final question, which is how can people do that? Where should they go to find out more about you and your work? So you can follow us on Twitter at Vote Mama US, and you can follow Vote Mama Foundation on Twitter at Vote Mama SDN. You can go online to our website. The pack is VoteMama.org, and the foundation is VoteMamaFoundation.org. We're on Instagram as well, uh, the same handles as earlier on Twitter. But you can you can find us online. You can get involved, message us. We'd be happy to talk to you about the legislation that we're working on or supporting you if you're ready to run for office. Luba Gresham Shirley, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz Marston and myself here on WBAI this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. So the phone lines are now open. We're opening them up. Call us at 212-209-2877. Let us know about what you just heard. But also, we want to hear from you on the mayor's race because it's only a few days. Maybe you early voted. Maybe you're not waiting till that very last second. Did you watch the debate last night? Did you change your mind at all? The number to call, 212-209-2877. And while we wait for those calls to come in, we're going to just play a brief musical clip, Wicked Game by Chris Isaac.
And welcome back to WBAI. That was Chris Isaac. You were just listening to Wicked Game. The phone lines are open at 212-209-2877. I believe we have a caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind today? Hi, you're on WBAI. Hi, you are on the air. Yes, is that me? Yes, it is. What's on your mind today? What's your name? This is my ad. There's some problem that uh, BAI needs to tell the provider because I've heard it from another caller. We love to hear the community. Please give us more time. But when you call, instead of getting the ring, you get like dead air, nothing. So the provider of this phone line needs to be needs to work on that. And thank you for taking my call. I'm, I didn't watch the debate last night. I guess I've, I've had enough. But I'm concerned um, about the existential times that Excuse we me. live in. The fact that Eric Adams is 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 leading the pack is is almost beyond shocking. He, he why, why is that shocking to you? I, I'm going to explain. He doesn't seem to have followed any aspect of the court case. I think it took about 10 years before CCR uh, came forward and, and took a lawsuit about stop and frisk. He seems to want to go back to... Uh, just something, if, you, if you're like a, a sister that's watching a brother being shook down like I saw uh, a few years ago, you know, it's like people being watched strip to, to be strip searched in the street. It was beyond shocking, and it didn't prove to, um, in fact, they found if, if the white people, so-called white people, had been approached that way, that there would have been much more likelihood of counterband, and I'm not saying, of course, that that should have happened. The fact that he wants to bring back the um, street crime unit that shot uh, uh, Amadou Diallo, I think it was 41 times, immortalized in in song, and uh, even Shea, who we're not happy with as police commissioner, even he realized that... Uh, that special crime unit over-polices, over-surveils, and overshoots, mm-hmm. and now asphyxiates only certain people. So, so, I, so I, I don't know. Based on, I'm, I'm based on the, voting, the people that you Maya see, based on the people first. you see in the field, who do you think would make a better mayor? Out of the choices we have, we understand that none of the candidates are perfect, but out of the people that you see, who do you think would probably do the best job? Maya uh, is is my first choice. Mm. Uh, at one point before Diane's uh, scandals around the unionization, et cetera, it was between her and Maya, but I think I'll go with um, Maya, the most progressive and the most one that will take on the defunding and abolition moving toward that and shutting down the union because the union basically has a structure of black codes and Camden, New Jersey did the right thing, started over again and and shut down a corrupt criminal union. Well, we we appreciate that. And and uh, one one last question for you: uh, Do you uh, how do you feel about the new ranked choice voting system? Do you like being able to put down uh, one, two, three, four, five names, or do you wish we could go back the way it used to be? That is delightful. That is very positive. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's nothing that's difficult or not to be understood. You get many more chances to weigh in. If your first choice doesn't come through, it's very simple. You hear people scratching their heads, but it's <laughs> something that should have happened a long time ago. And it's very simple. You get to, 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 to play right. your ballot longer mm-hmm. in case your first choice 
is not the one that gets uh, most of the votes. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. Question. And thank you so much for for your call. Really, really appreciate it. So, somebody there who does like the idea of ranked choice voting uh, in this mayor's race, uh, some strong feelings there about Eric Adams, who has been the uh, the front runner in the race for New York City mayor. Who do you think should be the next mayor of New York City? And who's your runner up choice? And your second runner up choice? Two one two two zero nine two eight. Seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. We're taking your calls here at WBAI, and we have our next caller on deck. Welcome to WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, I just like to say, refund the police. Blue lives matter. Okay, is there is there uh, something that uh, made you think about that today? Are you thinking about it in the context of the mayor's race, or or something else? You might, you might need to us? turn down your uh, your radio there. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, caller. <laughs> I uh, didn't didn't get to hear the end of that story, but uh, I suppose we'll uh, we'll struggle on. Um, you know, I do want to just jump in here as we wait for the next call at two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. That this call, the first caller said she had not watched the debate, but stop and frisk did come up. Uh, defund the police did come up. In fact, they were some of the uh, tenser moments, particularly when you watched also Eric Adams and Andrew Yang when it came to this week's endorsement by the Captain's Endowment Association. Yeah, big fireworks there. Yeah, I thought that was. Uh, I don't know if it was a. I don't know if it was a strong moment for Yang or if people thought it was going to be negative. I, I I'm not going to speak to how people perceive it, but you can give us a call two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Yang basically confronting Adams on getting support from police unions and whether Adams actively sought that support, uh, made phone calls on that, or. Uh, you know, or didn't, and they were gotten to quite a, a tussle about that. I, I think we do have another caller, Jeff. So, two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Who do you think won the mayor's debate, and who did you want to win? WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name, and where are you calling from? Hi, uh, my name is Rufus, and I'm calling from Bedsty, Brooklyn. Hey, Rufus, uh, what's on I'm, your mind today? A uh, question: um, Where can I? online see uh, um, a rerun of the debate that was on yesterday I did I am following the election pretty well and um, I heard the first debate um, I heard the first debate live on on another station um, and but I didn't um, I'm not really a TV person at all, so I, I really didn't like how N- NBC kind of monopolized that. It should have been broadcast on other modalities, but I would guess that it would be rebroadcast somewhere mm-hmm. online or on YouTube or maybe with that elect. I think uh, I think Jeff um, Jeff has uh, Jeff is yeah. ready to to help as, you out with that information. <laughs> Rufus, Rufus as you question. are as you are trying to uh, or as you're discussing this, I was trying to call this up. So sorry if you heard some of that noise. Uh, I went to the WNBC website. It, I don't think it has the full debate right now. I didn't see that immediately available, but it had uh, a synopsis of it. You raise a good point. It's where we can watch these, and, and this is one of the things that's been interesting to me this year is to watch this debate and the previous one on WABC, where after the first hour, they migrated to online uh, for people. But last night, what I had done was watch all two hours online. It made it a lot easier for me. So I didn't miss, you know, when they switched off. But no, you're right. Um, I know that it's not just on the one TV station each time. Usually they set up affiliations with different media outlets, uh, usually a radio station as well, uh, and that it is often... I'll say broadcast, but aired not just on your television, but also digitally as well. Yeah, so and this is a, this is a, a really good question, and I think the access issue is is really important. I was just checking as well to see if it might be available on the New York City Campaign Finance Board's uh, website. I'm gonna I'm not gonna do a lot of typing here into that directly into the microphone, but um, that that might be another way to to check it out. Um, so Rufus. As well. And Rufus, just very quickly, because I know I, I believe we have another call. 
what though when as far as we're only a few days from unless you've voted already from when we all head to the polls have you made up your mind yet in these final days i mean are you still waiting to see to the very last minute i oh that's a that's a fantastic question that that is such a controversial question um i live in bedford stuyvesant um and i am i am my choices have have been flipping i'm not going to vote for one candidate um, and I'm probably going to vote for at least three or maybe four. Um, but my choices are flipping around. And the one question for me with all of these candidates that none of them seem to bring up is the financing of the recovery of the city. And um, none of the candidates seem to talk about the stock transfer tax, the half a percent stock transfer tax that was, um, that was, um, it's collected, but then it's rebated back to Wall Street. And um, I find that to be uh, very, none of the candidates even talk about that. That, That's been done since, I think that came down in 1981 or 82. And the, actually the only mayoral candidate I do remember the first time when Fernando Ferrer ran, he he did talk about it. The first time he ran, um, but I, I think much of the problem in New York City is going to be the financing and what sector is going to take the brunt of. Um, I think it's inevitably going to be um, cuts and possibly some austerity, and I just find that to be even. Even the most even the most uh, progressive candidates, I haven't heard any of the Democratic mayoral candidates bring that up. But yes, um, I'm I I tend to vote on the day of the election, and my polling station is about three blocks away from me, so I tend to vote very traditionally. But yes, my um. <coughs> The only the only really negative candidate for me would be McGuire because I think I I've, I've followed him very well and um you know he he always he talks about um he always talks about um De Blasio not being within the budget you know he he I I feel that he will make he pretty much says he will make some cuts he's a budget guy but um it's it's a very mm-hmm. it's a very tricky. Mm-hmm. It's a very tricky situation. Um, uh, if someone would actually see my 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 ballot, it would be very contradictory because my first <laughs> three candidates are like ideologically opposed to each other, but that's shifting around. But I don't I don't think that I mean the only negative, really negative candidate for 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 me is actually McGuire because because okay. of the way he's financed. And because he is a Wall Street guy, and I don't care what um, what gender mm-hmm. or nationality or race he is, he he's, he is a Wall Street. He's a Wall. He's a creature of a uh, of Wall Street, and he and will make austerity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your call. We really do appreciate it. And for uh, that was, you know, an excellent question for people who are listening who did not get to see the debate. There should be some replays. Our uh, our studio engineer, Reggie, is showing me some links on YouTube and we can uh, gladly share some of that information uh, online if, if we find it. But again, you know, it was aired on uh, NBC, WNBC in, in New York. And I think Jeff was saying there are some highlights, at least some highlight reels available as well. Certainly, uh, you know, as a, as a print reporter, digital print reporter myself, of course, always encourage people to, to catch up by reading some of the, the stories. I don't know. Do we have another caller, Jeff? I think we're just about out of time. Maybe you want to tell us about what you have coming up on City Watch on Sunday. Sure. In fact, my co-host David Brand will be in the host seat that morning, Sunday at 10 a.m. 
He's going to be giving a last-minute uh, update on the election. He's got two awesome guests. One is Uber journalist Jeff Colton from City and State, who's been covering politics for quite some time, and also from City Limits, the climate justice reporter Liz Donovan. Uh, he'll talk uh, as well about you know what he'll try to open up those phone lines so that you can weigh in on what you want to see on Tuesday happen. Because and by the way, we might not have those results in many of these races on Tuesday. This might go on for some time. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I, I hate making predictions about races. I really, really don't want to do it. And this is a this is a complicated one. But the one thing I would really advise people is to just try to exercise a little bit of patience and caution. This is a new system. This is a complicated, uh, you know, very complicated system that we're trying to say, you know, it's a, a simple concept, but probably uh, the execution might be a little bit more difficult. So please just exercise some patience. If we don't know, it's important for us to have the answer right, not necessarily the answer first. And that goes out to media organizations trying to call this race as well, unless it's and a blowout, in which case, fine. And I've heard a number of people who are not sure. The one piece of advice I have is, even if it's just that morning or day before you head to the polls, think of your voting plan. Think before you step the, into that polling place who you're going to vote for, how you're going to rank them. That will save you the angst of trying, to, you know, of struggling while you're there and also not jamming up the lines if we wind up seeing a, a gigantic turnout that day. Absolutely. So remember, you can go to uh, NYC Votes. You can go to New York City Campaign Finance Board. Lots of resources out there uh, for you to find out more about the candidates. And there are many of them, uh, not only in the mayor's race, but in other contests. Thank you for voting. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing those uh, I Voted stickers, as, as always. Always a pleasure to see the city uh, uh, you know, bloom with those. Just want to remind everybody that we upload every edition of this program to Sound cloud itunes and stitcher uh, including other platforms so you can never miss a show uh, remember to sign up so in case you missed it you can check us out you can also check us out on twitter and facebook too i'm celeste katz marston here with jeff simmons you've been listening to driving forces here on wbai thanks for joining us see you on the radio Encouraging you to tune in to WBAI for the live broadcast of Carnegie Hall's spectacular Juneteenth celebration, Saturday, June 19th, 7.30 p.m., hosted by Reverend Dr. James Forbes, featuring keynote speakers like Martin Luther King III, Dr. Ivor Carruthers, David Crawford, Annette Gordon-Reed. The honorees will include Brian Stevenson and Congresswoman Sheila Jackson-Lee topped off by cultural, spiritual performances with the likes of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. That's this Saturday, June 19th, 7.30 p.m., live right here on WBEI 99.5 FM. Don't miss it. message. The WBAI local station board urges members to vote no in the bylaws referendum. The board voted unanimously to reject the proposed bylaw changes, which will strip power from local boards and unpaid staff. Four officers will, without election, assume power on a shrunken national board. Three of these four supported the illegal shutdown of WBAI in 2019 that turned us into a repeater station. Vote no to save our station from takeover and possible sale. Mumia Abu-Jamal, Danny Glover, Harry Belafonte, Leonard Peltier, Oscar Lopez Rivera, 
Cindy Sheehan and other activists urge you to vote no. Look for your ballot and learn more at WBAIfight.org or call 917-781-0366. The opinions expressed are those of the WBAI local station board and do not necessarily represent those of WBAI or the Pacifica Foundation.